Hello everybody, welcome back to Out of the Ordinary with me, your host, Jack. I don't know why I always pause before I say my name, but there we go. Um, welcome back, everybody. It's been a little while since the end of Series 1, with the beginning of Series 2 just around the corner. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen that I promised a very special bonus episode to bridge the gap between 1 and 2. So here it is. I hope everyone's well. I hope you're all enjoying the the beginnings of what I presume is summertime. Um, it's sunny and warm some days, other days it's absolutely miserable, but then I do live in England, so it's very difficult to gauge what's normal and what's not, but I'm not going to sit here and talk about the weather, because that sounds like small talk to me, which is one of my least favourite things, and I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. So what's the bonus episode about? Well, if you don't follow me on Instagram, and why not, because you're more than welcome, I put out a feeder for kind of a Q&A session today. So essentially what I want to do is just cover some questions and answer them as best as possible, just so you kind of get to know me a bit more. And also so that you get some answers to maybe some questions that are on your mind um, from somebody who's relatively qualified in that respect to answer. So um, that's... That's what we're doing. We're doing a QA. and um, I have some questions that I have in that I am absolutely ready to answer. So that's what I'm going to do today. Um, I just want to say that Series 2 is just around the corner. It's actually launching uh, next week from this when this episode goes out. So it's Monday the 5th of June. Series 2 begins. We've got lots of new topics, um, some collaborations to look forward to. And even some guests to look forward to as well, which is very exciting. It's a very different, um, very different dynamic from series one. But I think the idea going forward is to to uh, expand things and um, try new, try some new stuff. So why why the hell not? But today's is very laid back, very kind of very chilled, and um, is basically you ask me questions and I'll answer them. So. I do have a list of questions here. I will try and get through, as I will always promise to do, I will try and get through as many of these questions as I can and do my best to answer them in a kind of fully rounded way. Um, <laughs> actually, one of the first ones that I've got written down is one that I'm thinking, okay. The, the, the good thing about me is, I think I've mentioned it before in the podcast, is I am one of these people that is so open and I'm such an open book as a person that you can ask me anything and I will do my my utmost to to give you an answer I'm not someone I'm not one of these people that goes oh, I don't want to talk about that oh I'm not comfortable with that oh, I don't want to no no I'm not going there because I, I just generally that's not how my brain works my brain doesn't work like that my brain just thinks if you want to know something ask it and I'll um I'll tell you so yeah realistically yeah there's there's no issue with any of these questions at all um I just have to kind of some of them I'll have to go a little bit deeper in my my mind to kind of get you the, the right answers. That Well, not the right answers, there are no right and wrong answers, but you know what I mean. So the first question I've pulled out, which is, uh, yes, quite a big one. Um, so this question has come in. I won't kind of highlight, I won't kind of invade people's privacy and stuff, but these are all questions that I've got coming in. Um, the first question that I've pulled out here is, hi Jack, do you have a partner at the moment or are you dating at the moment? 
Do you only date neurotypical people or just autistic people or both? And what do you look for? What are you looking for? That's a very long question. <laughs> I like it though. It's very, um, very detailed. There's quite a lot of questions in one question there. Um, so I should probably have a go at answering that in stages. Um, thank you so much for your question. Do you have a partner at the moment? No, I don't have a partner at the moment. I do not have a partner. Um, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> tricky issue, tricky issue. Again, no, I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable talking about it. Um, it's, it's quite an emotive subject for me. Um, at the moment and recently, it's, it's been a very powerfully emotional uh, subject. And the answer is no, I don't have a partner. I kind of did. Well, I think I did. Um, it felt like it to me, but um, but that unfortunately has not materialised in the way that I wanted. Um, so no, I don't have a partner. Am I dating at the moment? No, no, I'm not dating at the moment. Um, very difficult to date uh, any other humans when actually the only human that you want to date, the only human that you want to be a part of your life is not possible to have. Uh, but it's still the person that you can't get out of your head. It's still the person that you just want more than anything really badly. So yeah, that's probably not a great, <laughs> it's probably not a great place to be if you're trying to kind of trying to be around other people in that context. So no, I'm not, I'm not doing either of those things. I don't have a partner and I'm not dating at the moment. Do I date um, neurotypical people or autistic people or both? Um, well, it's, yeah, um, it's difficult because obviously it, it, I don't, if I ever do date, I don't ever set out with a, okay, I only need to find neurotypical people or I only need to find people who are autistic. I never set out with that mindset. I just go, I mean, usually, let's be honest, these days, it's usually apps, which I hate. I hate apps. Um, dating apps are some of the worst forms of social communication, some of the worst forms of just really poor human social behaviour, really. They're just not great places. They're not healthy places. They're not reassuring kind of places to connect with other human beings in an effective or meaningful way, I don't think. Um, and I feel like a lot of people feel like that, not just autistic people, but neurotypical people as well. I think I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that, that just don't like the way that kind of dating is is focused and centred now. Um, and I definitely don't. I would much rather... I mean, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very old-fashioned romantic. I am the biggest kind of soppy, soft-hearted romantic sort of dude. Um, I would much rather do the whole kind of bumping into someone and, uh, yeah, kind of asking them out on a date. <laughs> it's very difficult to do, A, when you're autistic, because 
the thought of new people and strangers is something that you have to get your head around and that's a challenge in itself but also for me obviously I date men um and it's not quite well no I'm not going to downplay it it's not easy to to uh casually kind of approach men in the street to ask them out because the biggest factor is you don't know if they're straight or not so um yeah it's very difficult um so that it's it's kind of why obviously a lot of people are reliant on 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 the apps and and online and stuff because obviously everything is filtered and tailor-made for what you want and what you're looking for but at the same time it's uh, a very big kind of smoke screen for people to hide behind and behave quite appallingly a lot of the time actually with very little consequence for the other person so yeah I'm not a big fan of that not a big fan at all um and of course you've got things like hookup culture and which that sort of thing which you know again each to their own I'm not I'm not here to bash people for for what they're into what they do etc but it's just uh, it's just not my thing it's just not I'm not kind of wired that way um really so that's fine um but no I've dated I've dated neurotypical people I've dated uh yeah I've dated at least one autistic person um but I don't I I think I'm more worried about because anyone that knows me knows that you can pretty much come to me with anything or tell me anything about yourself if you're worried about it or if it's you feel like it's a negative or whatever you can pretty much come to me with anything and I'll just kind of roll with it adapt it slot it in and we'll work with it um I just I think from my perspective I worry about that not being reciprocated from me um so when you date new people it's not and it shouldn't it shouldn't be a big issue to tell somebody that you're autistic but I suppose because the lack of understanding education and awareness isn't where it should be Obviously, I think there's a lot of misconceptions, which we've obviously talked about in the podcast, where you can start to worry that as soon as that comes out of your mouth, someone's just going to go down the wrong kind of rabbit hole and, uh, you know, it all kind of falls apart. But um, no, I mean, I've I've dated some some decent minded people uh, for obviously whatever reason that's not gone anywhere or not worked out or not been the right fit. But um yeah, I mean, probably the the last person I was with was probably the healthiest example of being able to express that and it being reciprocated because that person was also in that that area. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a worry in the back of your head, but I try not to let it become overwhelming because I think, well, you know, I would be open-minded and accepting of anyone who came to me with whatever so you know it, it it it's certainly nice to hold on to the hope that some that other people should be decent enough to do that for you I think um but I, I'm honestly I, I would never be one of those people that's like I'm only going to date autistic people because I just think that's stupid I just think that's silly I think it's um it, I think it further segregates autistic people from mainstream society which is already if you look at how well the the very kind of rare instances of support that is available for autistic people I actually think a lot of it segregates autistic people even more it's like come here and sit in a room with other autistic people don't mix with anyone who's neurotypical don't challenge yourself don't kind of put yourself 
in any situations where you'll interact with neurotypical people or whatever. And I think all that does is just make autistic people more isolated, more segregated. And it's just not how the world works. Um, you know, neurodiversity is not a flaw. It's not a fault. It's not a burden. It's just a difference. It's a, it's a significant difference that people will carry with them for the, the whole of their lives. But does it mean that they're not a worthwhile partner? Does it mean that they don't have amazing qualities and lots of love and support, care, admiration for their partner? No, of course it doesn't. So I don't buy into that. Autistic people should only date autistic people. I don't buy into that at all. I think it's I think it's crap, to be honest. Um, what am I looking for? Gosh, I mean, I might need another episode for that question. Um, oh, not a lot, to be honest. I'm really not looking for that much. Um, I, I just, yeah, I want to be crazy about somebody who's crazy about me and for there to be mutual love mutual care mutual mutual levels of support and understanding and and respect and just yeah a total sense of non-judgment and the ability to communicate effectively powerfully and with each other at the forefront of everything we do because to me that's love that's how i feel love that's how i'm experiencing love for somebody right now in fact is is those things um someone i can have a laugh with someone i can cuddle up to at night someone i can chat absolute shit with and just yeah just make memories and have fun you know do nice new things sit down the pub with um just someone who's the world, I guess. But that makes it sound bigger than what I want. It's just it's just the simple things, it really is. I just I don't want extravagant, I don't want wild and crazy and uh, uh, yeah, I just I'm a simple minded guy. <laughs> um but I don't know. Maybe even even with that I'm still asking too much. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. This next one's um, interesting, but uh, I would imagine it's quite a common question. Um, no one's ever actually asked me this question in this format before. Um, so I've got another question here. Hi, Jack. Would you have children one day knowing they may also be autistic? Um, well, there's kind of two answers to this question. One is how I feel and two is kind of the why I feel it. Um, so... No, I don't, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't plan on having children, um, at all. Um, obviously, you know, I'm a gay man, but that doesn't obviously mean I can't have children. Anyway, I do get that comment sometimes, which is, you know, fun. Um, obviously I can't have children sort of naturally 100% in my own controlled route. Um, I've never really had that urge to have my own children anyway um I suppose a lot of the time in life you know my priority my focus is to keep myself healthy stable on track and uh you know prioritize what I want to be doing what I need to be doing to to make all that happen in a kind of positive way um I would never ever ever bring a child into the world if I knew 
deep down in my heart, I could not give that child 110,000% of what that child would need. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it because that's not fair. That's not right. Um, and that's not what it's all about. Uh, and, you know, some people can, can say that's selfish. Some people, I've had a few people, you know, in my lifetime say, you know, oh, well, you know, if you're not going to have kids, you're being selfish, you're this, you're that. It's like, well, it is kind of a form of selfish, I suppose, but it's a form of selfish that comes from a place of necessity and self-care and personal responsibility for well-being, which I also think is a wonderful thing to do for yourself without starting to introduce new humans into that equation who, let's be honest, deserve just as much of that if you're going to do that as a parent. Um, and then I suppose the second part of that answer is knowing that they may also be autistic. I mean, yeah, they probably they probably was, would be a high chance. Um, but they'd be my kids, you know, they'd be my child or children, depending. I mean, I could never imagine having more than one, to be honest, maybe two at a push, but... <laughs> Um, knowing they may be autistic I suppose when you have children you know that no child is perfect anyway because of course there is no such thing as perfect there's no no such thing as the perfect child or the perfect human so it's it's a difficult one because my answer is it wouldn't bother me but at the same time I know how hard it is to be an autistic child, an undiagnosed autistic child. And that was in the 90s and the 2000s. And it's now 2023. I mean, I'm not entirely sure, even if I had that inclination, which I may have, you know, if I, you know, put this scenario in place, if I met the most amazing person and, you know, he wanted to have a child or children together, you know, I might completely change my mind. If it's the right person and the right scenario, then, of course, you know, it, it could throw everything up in the air. You just don't know, and you can never kind of close the door fully on that. But um, it, I, I, I know what it's like to struggle as a little kid and growing up and going into school and the rigmarole of, you know, becoming a child to a teenager and bullying and all that sort of stuff. I mean, bullying alone for me is probably one of the biggest things that's affected my desire to have my own children because knowing how utterly horrific and miserable that can be at its worst. If I had a kid and sent them off to school and then they sent them off to high school, I wouldn't sleep as a parent. Probably because of my own mental scarring from that experience I I probably would not sleep until they left high school (laughs) and I knew that they were still you know they'd survived because I, I I just I don't know I just couldn't consciously put a child of mine through that if that's that was the case I know obviously a lot of people say well you know you're worrying about something that might not happen but I suppose when you've been through something so traumatic in your own shoes I suppose maybe it does affect how you would deal with that with with potential offspring but I don't know it's a very big complicated unsure world as it is and I struggle to understand it a lot of the time myself so again is it is it fair for me to expect a, a child of mine to go through all that 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But again, it really does depend on the person. Um, because like I said, you know, I, uh, I don't think this is saying too much to say that the last person I was dating or, you know, with, um, I, I kind of imagined I would change my mind with that person because I just thought they could be such an exceptional father. They had all those qualities that I would have wanted and looked for that I kind of thought, well, if anyone's going to change my mind, it'll be him. Alas. <laughs> um, yeah, so the answer, gone around the houses a little bit with it, but the answer is kind of, I don't plan to, but you never know circumstances depending and no it wouldn't bother me if they were autistic because that would be like that would be sort of begrudging and discriminating myself in the process which wouldn't make much sense um and of course you know children are your children are who they're born as so it's a bit pointless to begrudge or resent that really um another one which is probably one of the most controversial questions among the autistic community and outside world this is another one just want to know would you cure your autism yes or no if you had the opportunity um i've answered this question or i've attempted to answer this question before i don't know if i might have hinted at it in a previous episode but also outside of the podcast i've been asked this question before and the answer sort of flits between yes and no depending on what day you catch me on, what period of mood I'm in or what's going on in my own personal life. I'll be honest, the answer changes. So I don't have a definitive answer for that question just because if I said yes now or no now, it would probably change depending on the road ahead and how the obstacles to navigate affect that. Um, I'll be honest, I, I can answer that question with both answers, really. Um, maybe, perhaps one day I'll have a, a more solid position. I think if you always say, would you cure autism? Yes, but then in the process you eradicate who you are now. So who will be there once the magic hypothetical cure has taken effect and worked? You know, the person that you were before you took the cure is no longer there because, of course... Autism is a part of your build-up and your makeup and who you are. So the person you who takes the cure is not going to be the person that comes out the other end. And uh, who's that person going to be? What are they going to be like? How are they going to treat people? What are they going to think? What attitudes and values and principles are they going to have? Is that person even going to be me anymore? Um, that's always why I struggle with the yes one. Um Yeah, it's a tricky one. I'm sh I'm absolutely sure I could answer that question in more detail. I just maybe just might need a little bit more time, but um, that's fair enough. You know, like I said, it's quite a controversial one for some people, but I don't I don't find it controversial myself. I'm not really somebody who's put off by controversy or perceived controversy anyway. I think just if you've got a question, just ask it. <laughs> it's kind of that easy for me, really. But um, there's another one which is a really good one. I like this one. Um, hi, Jack. Do you have meltdowns a lot in your life? And what do they look and feel like for you? 
That's a really good one. Thank you for that. Um, generally, generally not loads. No. Um, I'd say... I don't, I don't know if I can take any kind of personal glory for managing to keep that down or if it's just naturally lower because of the way I live my life day to day. Um, I'd say currently, n not really, not a lot, no. I mean, they're quite rare. They're quite rare occurrences. But in saying that, they are rare but when they happen, they can be um, dramatic. They can be quite, they can leave a lot of, um, they can leave a lot of aftershock. They can leave a lot of kind of rubble afterwards, metaphorically speaking. Um, and they are, as a lot of autistic people listening will know, they are very debilitating. They're very, they can be very self-destructive and you can go into a meltdown and come out of it and feel just different, a different version of yourself afterwards. Um, and of course, depending on what's happened, what's been said or what's been implied or what kind of, how kind of you've behaved during that, that period where you've, let's be honest, you've been so primed in fight or flight mode that you've not been yourself and you've, you might have said things or you might have done things or you might have, you know, treated people that the way, in a way you would never have treated them if you'd have been your kind of fully conscious cognitive self. Um, so it, although they're rare when they do happen, you don't forget about them. And I think something I wanted to talk about in the next series, in fact, is kind of more about meltdowns and shutdowns and the negative feelings uh, that an individual can have experiencing those before, during and after. Um, you know, meltdowns for me come with a huge sense of embarrassment. Um, so not wanting people, not wanting essentially most people to see them or be witness to them, or be present during them. Um, the feelings of guilt, of shame for having them, or for inadvertently hurting people, or not physically hurting people. I've never hurt anyone physically in my life, but um, just, yeah, feeling ashamed of the potential unintentional damage or repercussions that that can have. Um, I mean, what do they look and feel like? They, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not, um, I'm not an aggressive person. I'm not a violent person. I've never, ever had a meltdown that's involved physical um, kind of physical harm or, or implication to anyone else. There's only one time I've had a meltdown where I've hurt myself. And that was that was quite some years ago. Um, and that was literally the only occasion. So, yeah, mine are, meltdowns for me are more based around emotional distress. So it's crying, it's sobbing, it's kind of shutting down 
emergency mode emotion. So, um, and in doing so, because I'm so overwhelmed, because I've got myself into a position of such high anxiety, high stress or worry or panic or whatever, that I go into myself and anything else that's either around me, next to me, within reach, gets shut out, um, turned off, you know, pushed away. And again, that's not intentional. That's not, that's not Jack in that, in those moments. That's not Jack in those periods. That's just, that's that pure fight or flight, um, emergency panic mode in play. Um, but of course it's still got my voice, still got my face, still got my body. So to anyone else around, it must be, must be scary. It must be upsetting. It can be hurtful. It can be really, really destabilizing, I'm sure for others as well. And I suppose that's why as an, as an example I gave about embarrassment being one of the biggest things is you don't you do feel embarrassed because you don't want people to see you in such a vulnerable state unless you're absolutely sure it won't affect how they see you when you kind of return if that makes sense um yeah they're horrible I hate meltdowns I hate them um it's a process to learn that you know Although, and again, I, I try not to dwell on this too much because it feels like I'm beating myself up or making myself feel essentially excessively guilty. But it's one of those things that you have to learn that meltdowns are a part of the process that comes with the package deal of being autistic. A bit like, you know, mental health struggles, you know, such as really high levels of anxiety. Nobody asks to have meltdowns. Nobody asks to, to find themselves in these states however frequent or infrequent they may be for each individual person um, nobody asks to to lose themselves in the process or shut people out push people away you know be horrible to people in in that moment of pure pure crisis um it's never intentional it's never it's never you you know you're that you're not there in those moments you're not there consciously as yourself you've you've been pushed to the back of the queue to stay dormant until you know this this has passed um but it's very hard it's very hard um i think as as nasty i suppose my answer in a nutshell is as horrible and as nasty and as scary as they are in the moment it's probably afterwards where the most pain and the most distress comes from and I'm sure there are people who are listening who can relate to that element okay so this one is quite uh, an important one to me um what do you think needs to change to improve autism and mental health awareness and services in the UK or across the world gosh that's a big question it's a very good question, but it's a very big question. Um, well, essentially, this is my focus, really, in my now adult life, is, is to be a part of the process to make these changes, to make these improvements and to get things to a place that we're all 
happy with. Uh, this is motive. This is kind of what motivates me, motivates me every day in the things that I do or the things that I'm passionate about, and the, ultimately the work that I want to do is is around this very topic. Um, if I plucked one point to answer that question, first of all, we and this this could be said for so many problems that we have in this country and. I'm sure in other parts of the world would agree. Obviously, I live in the UK, so I can only really answer this question from my own country's perspective. But this, again, trickles outwards across the globe, really, as as it should anywhere. Um, I think we need a complete personnel slash societal cultural shift in who we have as individuals in power making decisions, making ultimately plans and guidelines and strategies, because right now it feels like we have um, we have people that I'm sure are well-meaning, but essentially we have people that don't actually know at ground level what it's like to be the people that they're there to support or to be the people that they're responsible for making such huge game-changing decisions for um, and I suppose when I say that I mean at the top of these giant organizations or these charities or you know these these big companies we've got people who yeah are probably very cushy jobs on big salaries lots of bonuses lots of perks probably don't have to do that much apart from you know sign off this or approve that or budget for that but you know if we're talking about autism our CEOs or executive directors or you know big managing corporate bigwigs are these people autistic probably not very unlikely are they connected in any way to autism other than the fact that they do a big wig job which is just for a company that that helps with autism probably not probably not connected in much sense um so there's a there's an ability to disassociate from the cause if you like um it's a job yeah it's their job they do it they get paid for it probably very handsomely but does it mean as much uh, are the implications as real to them as they are for somebody who does live with this part of their life does live will live with this part of their identity no probably not um do i think that affects then what trickles down from them and and becomes a pattern for providing service yeah i do i think i think that absolutely trickles down it's that mentality isn't it it's the okay well this issue doesn't bother me but i suppose it's what i'm paid to do so i'll give it i'll go i'll give it a go and you know do do the best that i think i can do but the trouble is with that you don't have that first hand experience you don't have that lived perspective you don't have the ability to resonate essentially with the majority of people you're there to provide such a crucial you know let's be honest autism is lifelong so it's not going anywhere so you have to get that into your mentality that that this is this isn't something you can just brush under the carpet this isn't something that is not as important as something else because this is lifelong you know autism is a part of a human being's life from the moment they start breathing 
to the moment they stop. And, you know, I don't think that's appreciated enough by people who are in powerful positions. Um, The mentality, I'm sure, a lot of the time is, well, you know, throw a few breadcrumbs out and, you know, be grateful for what you get. But we're only going to be here from a fragment of your life and for the rest of it, you'll just have to do the best on your own and, you know, keep your mouth shut and don't cause too much of a problem. And I think that has to end because, you know, we've had generations and generations of people who are now adults that have only just found out that they're autistic and they always were. And, you know, we don't want to do another generation and generation of kids who get diagnosed but then grow up realising that actually there's not much in terms of either practical or therapeutic support that they'll have to to rely on or to feel safe with because you know the money's not there or the priority's not high enough or this or that and I don't want to see that as the future because that uh, that approach that perspective that mentality failed me um you know I had to wait till I was nearly 30 before I found out such a big part of my identity, such a big part of my life. And that's not acceptable. I don't want that for another, you know, few sets of generations to come. So that that, that motivates me incredibly. Um, so that's, that's kind of one, one thing I would call out on. Um, again, it's a big question. I probably need more time to answer it, but I, I suppose I've given one answer to what could be many that, that are in my head. Um, I think it's it's way overdue for a massive cultural societal shift in how things are done, how they're prioritised, how they're managed, how they're budgeted and most importantly by whom those people are what relevance and what kind of authenticity they have to be there in the first place i think is such a massive massive example of just what needs to be changed so yeah i hope that's good enough <laughs> um i've got a few more questions so this is a nice one. Um, is anyone else in your family autistic that you know of? Um, yes, they are. Not necessarily who I would have expected, but I suppose, again, we were just talking about failed generations of the past. Um, it is highly likely I have a, a relative of the past or an ancestor or several, in fact, who would have been autistic because naturally by that assumption that you know, autism is connected through family genealogy that, that, of course, I will not have been the first. And I'm not the last, um, because, yes, I do know someone in my family who's autistic. I have uh, three nephews and a niece, all of whom are wonderful, wonderful, amazingly adorable, beautiful human beings. Um, but one of my nephews is um, autistic, he is eight years old now. I think he was diagnosed last year, I think. I don't know. I've completely, it's completely gone out of my head. But um, yeah, I mean, he is just the most 
he's just the most amazing boy and he's he's different yes and he he has challenges he struggles he's he's yeah he's wired differently but he's just who he is and I think like when I said earlier about would it affect my decision to have children that's like asking me if I would change my nephew I suppose in a way I would change my nephew if it meant he struggled less or found life less difficult of course I would I'd do that in a heartbeat but would I want to change who he is as a boy as a person as a human no because he's my boy (laughs) so um and I, I love him to bits for the person he is and the person he'll be so um so yeah it's it, as far as i know right now it's just me and him um which is you know it's it's a sweet thing to bond together over and he and i have always had a fantastic bond and fantastic relationship and we are both big surprisingly for autistic people we're both big big cuddlers so if i ever walk into his house or if he ever sees me we the first thing we do is have the biggest squeeze the biggest cuddle and uh you know I just feel like obviously I love all four kids I love all the kids I love all of them for their own unique qualities and wonderful traits etc I suppose with him I've just got that understanding of looking at him sometimes and thinking I relate to you on a different level if that makes sense um and I hope as he grows older he'll have that in his uncle where he's able to say I'm finding this stressful or or struggling with this or worrying about this or this is causing me whatever and he knows he has an uncle who may just have something in his locker of experience that might be of some use to him this is quite a nice one. I like this one. Um, Jack, hello. Um, what do you do to relax, de-stress, reduce your anxiety or pressure, etc.? Um, I'm quite a big gamer. Not as much, admittedly, as I used to be, just because I think the older you get, things get in the way or, you know, you're doing other stuff, which is fair enough. Um, but yeah, when I can and when I can relax and sit down and, you know, focus on something, um, I tend not to to really do online gaming because I find that um, becomes less enjoyable because you're kind of, again, involved or reliant on other people joining you or, you know, being in that space with other people still. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of a single player experience. So a story for me, the reason I got into gaming and the reason I've loved gaming ever since I was a little boy is because... I can get so absorbed into a great story. Um, okay, it might not be written down in a book or on a page, but it's it's a kind of visual, interactive, immersive experience. And for me, that's that's such a great way for me to relax. If it's good, if it's gripping, if it's engaging, um, then I can enjoy it from start to finish. Sometimes I struggle to focus on gaming just because there might be stuff going on or there's stuff in my head that is distracting or taking me out of that immersive moment but yeah generally if I can get a good one I suppose it's a bit like when people say you know if you get a good book you can't put it down if you can get a good game I find 
get the same experience. Um, and <laughs> then I go into that kind of um, sort of issues with executive functioning where I can just sit there for hours and hours and play like a really amazing game and forget to eat or drink or go to the loo and it's yeah that can be that can be an issue um but generally gaming is my biggest one I love getting outdoors I like walking you know I'll go for a run or whatever um I yeah I like to see friends um etc uh I'll sit and watch a good tv series uh less so with with films just because i think they require longer periods of sort of stagnant stillness or concentration which sometimes i can struggle with but yeah you know um music's a big one for me i really love music uh there is not a single day in my life every week every month every year where i don't have music on um, at some point or points uh, in the day um, because music I find is my almost kind of like my mental language however I'm feeling or whatever's in my head there's there's music for that there's there's background to that and uh, I think it really helps with connecting into and feeling whatever those emotions are that I'm I've got going on um, I just think music's great you know it, it's it's definitely expressive which has always helped me um, explore that that side of my brain and, and sort of myself as a person. So music's really important, um, whether I'm inside or out and about. You know, music is, is always with me in some shape or form. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a podcaster, so that, that's a good thing to do. It's really, really lovely to kind of sit and record and talk to you guys and, and talk about some great stuff. Um yeah, I'm streaming gaming now as well, um, which is good. You know, I, I stream game streaming, video game streaming is kind of like doing a podcast, but you get to play video games at the same time, which is brilliant. Um, so it's kind of ideal for me, really. Um, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, that's really good. Um, what else am I doing? I'm sure I'm doing other things, but they've gone out of my head. So I might have to come back to you on that. But that's kind of a, you know... It's an overview, I guess, of things I do to relax. Um, I have, I'll, I'll admit, I'll admit, you know, sometimes recently, which I pull myself up on and recognise and have now kind of taken steps to deal with. Um, difficulties with relaxing recently, just with stuff that's been going on. I've probably been relying on going down the pub with a mate or something and drinking beer, <laughs> which uh, ultimately, you know, in, in the logical sphere of, of things is not the best remedy for relaxation. But, uh, yeah, you know, these things, these things that people fall into to, to help them relax sometimes are not always the healthiest routes. So, um, but it happens. It's a, it's a phase, it's a period. So, but yeah, generally, yeah, I'm, I'm quite good at, at, um, prioritising winding down or relaxing or finding something to occupy myself that I enjoy. So that's, uh, yeah, I think I'm, think I'm, I've always done quite well at that, to be fair. Um, oh, and Lego. I, I've, I don't know if I've ever mentioned on this podcast before that I am a massive fan of Lego. Lego, uh, just to collect, to keep on display. I love it. It gives me such a buzz. 
Um, and Lego as a as a thing, as a brand now, is so adult geared, so adult accessible, so kind of embracing of adult lovers and adult fans that it's made it such a big, colourful, enjoyable, exciting community now. Um, and I've I've never been the sort of person, the best way I can describe Lego is I've never been the sort of person that goes to art galleries and looks at paintings on the wall. But if there was an art gallery that was Lego, I'd be in there all the time. Because to me, Lego is, I guess, the closest I'll get to appreciating art, <laughs> if that counts. So yeah, that's a big one for me. I love that. And and honestly, building Lego, like I would literally have a job where people bought Lego for their kids or for themselves or whatever. And they're like, oh, I bought this Lego set or I bought these like three Lego sets. I haven't got time. I can't be asked to build them. Pay me give them to me i'll build them and then give them back to you literally that's my dream job that's my dream job lego building to me is one of the biggest things i would advocate to help people with their mental health and autistic people because just the process of start to finish building a, a one lego set at a time is honestly some of the best therapy i think i could ever recommend it's just it's just such a great experience i love it i just love it um, if Lego wasn't so ridiculously expensive, I would do it more. But uh, yeah, it's kind of more of a rare, a rare treat now, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that's that's a big one. I don't want to I don't want to let that question go without mentioning that because that's important. Um, so we've literally got a couple more questions, and then I think I am done. Um, someone's put, "Are you good at socialising, communicating now? How did you get better at it?" Um, I mean relatively yes um it's not to say that it doesn't come with its challenges because of course it does but then of course things like masking come into play still even now you know um which can maybe make it seem less so if you're somebody that knows me on the outside you might just think yeah he's fine like he can hold a conversation he can talk about stuff he can you know he can stand in a room with me and not complain rah, rah, rah. um one of the biggest things I always tell people about socialising and learning to communicate is I have done a lot of work on this ever since I was small. Um, I mean, I, school, to be honest, never helped me with these things. I learned how to communicate better, more effectively, more appropriately by myself at home or, you know, just in my own space. I would I would learn how to communicate through watching tv or films or playing video games or listening to music um i would learn about storytelling i'd learn about emotion i'd learn about intention i'd learn about characters i'd learn about consequence i'd, I'd learn interpretation all that kind of stuff i didn't learn that at school nobody taught me that i learned it for myself i put myself in front of a tv or a, a games console or you know a stereo as it were back in the day and I would absorb like a sponge. And, you know, if you keep doing that every day, if you keep doing that growing up and growing up as your mind is adapting and evolving, it, it you soak it all up. And I guess for me, I was fortunate enough, if that's the right word, to, to help build up my arsenal of tools to, to help me be the communicator I am now. But it's not been easy and it's it's something that will never be simple. Um, 
I, 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 I think if you're good at it or you can do it and it's relatively okay, that's great. If you struggle with it, it's really hard and it gets you down, that's okay as well. I think I, I, I'm somebody who always advocates don't fall into the comparison game, especially in autistic terms, because the one thing we keep saying on this podcast and the one thing you'll keep hearing in autistic communities and, and, and groups, etc., is one autistic person is one autistic person. You know, that it literally is that. Um, so if you're not so great at communicating, but you can see other people, autistic people, either around you or, you know, on social media or in the outside world, whatever, and you think, oh, I'm not as good as them, rah, rah, rah. Well, no, you're not, but it's because you're not them. Um, and it is frustrating, but it's not to say that you can't learn. It's not to say that you can't evolve or adapt or, or kind of soak up um, experience that can expand your capabilities, but it's also not something that you should beat yourself up for because, like we've been saying this whole time on this podcast, who you are essentially is your makeup. It is who you are. And everybody is different. If everyone was exceptional at communicating socially on the autistic spectrum, then, you know, I suppose people would notice it even less than they already do now, which would be, which wouldn't be great, obviously. So um, it's good that the fact that it's a spectrum means it's diverse in terms of what people's strengths, weaknesses, capabilities and struggles are. So um, I can get by, yes. Um, I've learned through the work that I've done for myself how to communicate relatively effectively to get through things. But it's not to say that there aren't challenges because of course there are, but I guess like anyone, you don't, see that you don't experience that you don't feel that because obviously you're not me <laughs> so um but we can we can do an episode on that because we haven't so far um, but I can definitely do an episode on on those that topic and the kind of strengths and challenges around that I think that's a really great idea actually so that's a fantastic question to have asked um but the final question that I've got the, the coming in which I just want to cover as kind of the conclusion is from somebody who, fantastically, I think this is a great perspective to end on. Somebody has asked me, hi, Jack, just wanted to know if you have any advice for parents of an autistic child currently growing up? And that's a very big question. And that, that is one I feel like I have a big responsibility to answer. Um, I've said it before, I think, on this podcast. I think I had a little moment where I had a little kind of emotive speech if you are a parent right now, or if your parents, you're a couple or, or you're a single parent or whatever, if you're a parent right now of an autistic child, the first thing I want you to do is to stop. And I want you to appreciate just how much of a job it can be, how much of a mission it can be to do what you're doing anyway as a parent. You know, the role that <laughs> the the effort and the determination and the the love and care and support that that role on its own needs and requires but then add the fact that your child is either autistic or potentially autistic you know that is going to require so much more and it's going to take it out of you it's going to it's going to be exhausting it's going to be worrying it's going to be distressing it's going to be painful it's going to be emotional 
but it's also going to be the time you remember as your child grows up into the person that they're going to be for the rest of their lives. And I know that sounds cliche, I know it sounds cheesy, but essentially who your child is and the the adult human they will become is the path is set and you can only do your best for your child. We can all sit there and go, I'm not good enough for my child. I should be doing better. I should have better knowledge. I should be better equipped. I should be able to get them <clears throat> X, Y and Z to make their life better. But remember that not all of those things are in your sole control. Like we've been talking about, we are reliant on where we live or the people who are in charge of making decisions or in power or holding purse strings. We're reliant on these people and these services and these organisations to help us out when we need it, to help us get the best for our children and for ourselves. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. More often than not, it doesn't happen. And we're left scratching our heads. We're left feeling like we failed. We're not enough that we should be doing more. And that's not the case because most people with children want the best, want to make their children happy, safe, cared for, loved, cherished and adored. And it doesn't matter if their children are different. It doesn't matter if their children come with differences or challenges or things that make their lives harder. As a parent, you make a commitment to your child that you'll be there and you'll do anything you can whether it's the right thing, or the wrong thing, whether it works out for them or it makes things a bit worse. The intention is always to do the right thing by your children. And I think with autism, a lot of parents beat themselves up and forget that because they think the fact that their child is autistic in the first place, they think is their fault for some bizarre reason or, you know, there's some, you know, there's some wild or wacky reason that that's the case. And it's, of course, it's not the case. You know, if you go back decades to you know, the 60s even, you know, we used to have professionals, in inverted commas, saying that autism was caused by mothers who didn't show their children any love or, you know, weren't maternal enough, etc. And I mean, it's that kind of bollocks that thankfully we've, well, I hope we've started to eradicate from people's minds. There's enough to beat yourself up over as a parent, as a person, without children, but as a parent, there's enough to beat yourself up over every single day you do that. But remember your intention. Remember why you're there. Remember what, why you're doing what you're doing. And we all have off days. We all have days where we're not so great at what we, we're supposed to be doing. We all have days where we resent it or we have days where we run out of energy or mental capacity. But, you know, that's what makes you human and autistic or not. You know, we do share those things in common. But autism is nobody's fault. It's nobody's responsibility for blame. It's something that is there sometimes, something that's not there for others. But, you know, it's a difference. It's not a defect. I know it can feel like a defect. Trust me, I've been there myself a lot of the time and I'll be there again. Because that, like I said earlier, when I was answering the question about the cure it's adaptive it fluctuates and and don't feel I could sit here and feel bad for even thinking would I take a cure or not but it's my experience it's my perspective it's my life 
Am I allowed to answer that question however I want? Of course I am. No one else can really answer that for me. It's not their experience. It's not their perspective. And I'm not standing, they're not standing in my shoes. And it's the same, you know, if you're a parent. I know it might seem a bit wishy-washy and that's not how I do things, but give yourself a break, honestly. Because you'll get there. However you need or have to get there, you will get there. But stop comparing. Please, please, please stop comparing. Because it just doesn't do any good. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this bonus episode of Out of the Ordinary. I will be back on Monday, the 5th of June, 2023, for Series 2, where I'll be bringing you lots of new episodes, lots of new topics, some exciting collaborations, and even some guests to speak with me on all things autism. Thank you so much for your love, for your support, for your follow of this podcast as it's passed its first series. And now a special bonus episode. The future's exciting. We're all going to be in it together. And I'm so looking forward to seeing you all very, very soon for a brand new series. I hope you've enjoyed the answers to these questions today. Thank you so much for all your contributions. Until series two, I'll see you very soon. Bye-bye for now.